0: Is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles.
1: And I'm Mike Simpson. The president laid out a big goal not too long ago, said he wanted 70% of adults in the country to have at least one vaccine by the 4th of July. Looks like we're not going to meet the goal. About 64% have gotten that uh, one dose at least so far.
0: Also factor in that the vaccination rate keeps dropping because demand for the vaccine is down. So we'll look into whether we can get to herd immunity. If you've
1: been vaccinated, your private, personal and medical information in the hands of the Pentagon, is that a
0: good thing? Let's start with the president's vaccine goal, Dr. Gregory Poland. Is director of the vaccine research group that's at the Mayo Clinic, Doctor. How much does it really matter if we get, you know, 64 percent of adults versus 70, and when you add in those who had natural infections, aren't we up there anyway? You know, Charles,
2: you're exactly right, um, and and that's how I feel too. We're talking about a goal, which is a good thing to have in regards to vaccines. We've got uh, probably. 30 plus states that are not going to reach the goal of a 70% vaccination rate, which means we've got you know an appreciable number that, that will. But when you look at the idea of herd immunity, which is why that rough 70% was chosen, you really have to add in those who have been immunized plus those have been, who have been infected. And I think when you consider that, we will be there. How sure are we about how
1: long natural immunity lasts versus the vaccine? Though I mean, will we see people who didn't get the vaccine but had COVID a few months back end up getting COVID again since it's still going to be out there? I mean, this we know it's going to circulate because that's what it does until you completely snuff it out, and we're not going to completely snuff it out.
2: Well, that's right, Mike. And you know, when you when you look at, for example, uh, a study that was done by the C- CDC looking from January to April, there had been about a hundred and one million vaccinees. They detected 10,000 breakthrough cases, okay? That's a really small fraction. And most of those are going to be people who had uh, immunosuppression, underlying comorbidities, etc. cetera. So by definition, we don't know how long this will go. We're not even at, you know, a year and a half yet uh, in terms of uh, infection, not even at a year For those who have been uh, uh, vaccinated so what will happen is there'll be a very close eye kept on whether we're starting to see more and more breakthrough infections and if so are they in people who have been previously infected but not immunized or in vaccinees
0: and that will determine what the next step is for example a booster dose and and that actually raises an interesting question in terms of timing and i was wondering about that the other day so uh, you know, at what point does a decision have to be made whether or not people need who have been vaccinated need to have a booster shot? Because if you all of a sudden announce, say, in I don't know September first, that uh, yeah we've decided that everyone needs a booster shot now, well then we're kind of right back where we we started from with trying to get a whole bunch of people in a short period of time to get booster shots.
2: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And I'm going to give you my opinion, which will be to some degree divergent from the opinion you would get from CDC or public health. What they tend to do is give a population level recommendation, because it's a one size fits all, it's easy. What I think we would be better to do is follow the science. In other words, Young, healthy people are very unlikely to lose immunity after infection or uh, vaccine inside of a year. An elderly, more frail person or somebody who's immunocompromised because of underlying disease or medications they take, they might lose immunity within a year. The other aspect of this, and still somewhat unknown, is this is a race between vaccine and variants the more infections that occur the more mutations the more mutations the greater the chance that the virus will learn how to escape previous immunity whether it's from vaccine or previous infection
1: i'm wondering for you know younger healthier people who haven't gotten the shot yet if There was a way to tell them, hey, you know, this isn't an every year thing. Two shots every year. It's every five years. Maybe it's a decade shot. That would be great news. And then maybe in their head it goes, oh, okay, that I can do. I'll go get that. I don't have to worry about this for a long time. Instead of thinking I have to go get a Pfizer shot every year and get two of them for the next three years.
2: I I like that, Mike. and And I think you're likely to be right. As a matter of fact, I think when we're talking about young, healthy people who get the vaccine, they're gonna have long lasting immunity. Now, one thing that's confusing to people, they think of immunity as antibody levels and those are important. But we also have another arm of immunity called T cells or cellular immunity, which also are important. So I think we're gonna find out, this is speculation, we haven't been two, three, four, five years yet. I think we're gonna find out in young, healthy people who get the vaccine, which raises very high antibody levels, they're going to be protected for some years.
0: How many years?
2: We don't know yet.
0: Well, and and one quick question, because we're going to run out of time. Do you have to wait five years to find out whether or not it lasts five years? In a sense, you do. We can measure antibody levels, but
2: T cell immunity is much more difficult and much more difficult to standardize and, and measure. So, in fact, I think we're going to have to either know a correlative protection like antibody or we're going to have to wait and see and say, okay, at what time spread or with what biologic marker can we say people are now at risk?
1: Dr. Gregory Poland, director of the Vaccine Research Group at the
0: Mayo Clinic. Coming up after this short break, can the government be trusted with our medical information? The huge effort to vaccinate tens of millions of Americans involves collecting the personal and medical information of people getting the shots. Of course, that's raising privacy concerns.
1: It has people wondering how well protected the registries are. Concerned that uh, the government has access to all this information. Can public health agencies and uh, even the military be trusted with all that? Dr. Michelle Mello, professor of law, medicine, the Stanford Law School. So, doctor, let's just start with the basics. Where is all the data and is it safe?
3: Sure. So for decades, states across the country have maintained immunization registries. They are usually used for childhood vaccines, but anytime you get a vaccine, uh, you will be asked whether you mind your information being shared in your state's immunization registry. And unless you opt out, which most people don't, the information goes in there and the COVID vaccine isn't any different.
0: Although, did they ask people if they wanted to opt out for the COVID vaccine? I know a lot of people who got it, and I don't know of anyone who was asked if they can opt out. I
1: seem to remember my button on CVS said I could, but you then couldn't? again, I could be making that up right now,
0: so I don't know. I mean, do, do you do you know?
3: Are you asking me? Yeah. So so this is part of the by law. There's a a section of the California Health and Safety Code that gives people uh, the ability to have a privacy notice that's distributed at the point of care, and again to affirmatively opt out. If you do nothing, you are presumptively in the database.
1: Okay. So my info is there, unless I've said no. What happens with that info? Am I sure that it's protected? Because then we get into other things, like if we're gonna have passports and then if you've got to check in with the concert for your vaccine, and this is now a whole bunch of places instead of just the one place.
3: So it's important to know that the health and safety code in California makes this information very securely protected. uh, arguably, even more so than other kinds of healthcare information. It specifically names the types of organizations that can query this database and get access to it and the purposes for which they can query it. And those parties are limited to federal, state, and local health officials doing public health surveillance work, schools and child cares that have to enforce immunization requirements. Other agencies, as are allowed by other laws like foster care systems that have to make sure that kids are vaccinated and the WIC program, uh, where vaccination is an important part of their health uh, program, insurers that are being billed for these vaccines, and healthcare providers who sign an agreement with the California Department of Public Health pledging to keep this information confidential. So it's highly protected. And it's certainly not the case that an airline or a concert venue could simply call up the California Department of Health and figure out if you're in the database.
0: No, but, but, but if I go through uh, just in the past year the numbers of companies that have been hacked, uh, almost all of, of whom said prior to being hacked that the information they had was secure, uh, the list is quite voluminous. So how do we know that the guarantees of data security are going to actually happen?
3: Well, let's keep two important concepts separate in our minds. One is confidentiality and privacy. And that's what I've been talking about. The law says who is permitted to access this database and and what purposes they are permitted to access it for. Then there's security. That refers to protection of data against unauthorized uses. And any database, of course, is vulnerable to hacking. The more sensitive the information in the database, the more we want to be careful that adequate security safeguards are in place. State and federal security laws require these databases to keep adequate protections. But as we know as consumer, no no database is completely safe. That doesn't stop us from storing all other aspects of our health information in electronic health records.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we've said it before on this show, right? The security aspect, the second one, we can all probably assume that anyone and anything can be hacked at any time. So they know what toothpaste I use. They probably know everything else about me, too. Um, Why do you think this one maybe is a bit more touch and go than other aspects of, of privacy, though? We mentioned at the outset that this has become so political for so many people.
3: Yeah, I think vaccinations in general are are very political. We usually don't hear about these concerns because they're usually only... Sensitive and political for a very tiny fraction of the population, you know, just a one or two percent of people who are really strongly resistant to getting vaccines. And for the rest of us, you know, we go about our business, we get our vaccines, we stay healthy, and we don't worry too much about it. This time, the group of people who are concerned about getting this vaccine is a little bit larger, um, not because it's less safe, but because the issue has been politicized. The other factor in play, I think, is that. You know, public health in general is a kind of a while you were sleeping field. There's a lot of work that goes on in the background of our everyday lives that is invisible to us. And it um, is invisible to us because most of the time it works. It keeps disease at bay and we can go about our lives. You know, vaccination is an enormous success story. So most people have simply never had cause to think about this registry before. And now because reporters have uh, sort of highlighted this aspect as being connected to the lotteries, people are hearing about it for the first time.
1: Dr. Michelle Mello, professor of law and medicine at the Stanford Law School. Doctor, thanks.
0: Washington State trying to one-up New Jersey and Buffalo, New York, when it comes to vaccine incentives. New Jersey and Buffalo have offered free beer to people who get vaccinated, but Washington is now giving out free pot. The promotion is called Joints for Jabs. Anyone who gets their first or second shot can go to any state-licensed pot shop and get one free pre-rolled joint. Of course, you have to be 21 and older. Washington is not the only state to get creative uh, for people to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. In Arizona, cannabis dispensaries handing out free pre-rolled joints and gummy edibles in exchange for getting vaccinated.
1: This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.